We have a new partner to the podcast, Luminate Advertising. They're an award-winning advertising and marketing firm, and their brand research director, Mary Tilger, is a personal friend of mine, and I encourage you to contact Luminate Advertising just to make your company shine if you need any graphic design, copywriting, printing, radio spots, trade show displays, digital marketing, promotional products. Everyone wants to represent their company just a professional manner, so call Mary. She has a great marketing ear. She can help you out. Her phone number is 303-460-8703. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, co-founder and co-host. Here's this week's interview by my partner, John Ramstead. Today on the Eternal Leadership Podcast, we have Jeff Rogers. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. Now, Jeff, you and I met, I think, first a couple years ago for a cup of coffee and a muffin over at, at Mimi's here in Denver. And I got to learn a little bit about your background and what you do, and I was just so impressed. Um, I, I knew we needed to get you to come on and just share your message here on the podcast. So thank you so much for, for making the time. Yes, thanks for having me on the call today, John. Well, my pleasure. And so a little bit of background. You're the founder and chairman of Stewardship Legacy Coaching and the Stewardship Advisory Group. And you have over 30 years of experience really helping financially blessed families, business owners build a, just a strong legacy through what you call the lens of biblical stewardship. And you've received the Larry Burkett Award from Ron Blue and the Kingdom Advisors. And you do a lot of speaking uh, for numerous ministries, National Christian Foundation. I, I just joined their board, by the way. I love the work that, that NCF is doing. Uh, World Help, Wycliffe you've spoken to, the um, Christian Business Organization, C12, Fellowship of Companies for Christ International. And you're also in the process of writing a book on stewardship of your family legacy. So a lot of great content we're going to cover today. So Jeff, thank you for for being here. And I'd love for you just to start, though, and just share a little bit about kind of your journey and your, and you know, what's gotten you to, to this point. Well, thanks, John. Well, first of all, I think all of us have key people in our lives that have been uh, influential, and none of us would be where we are uh, if it weren't for those people. I'm reminded of the book uh, and the story from years ago, The Turtle on a Fence Post. And uh, the, the question goes, if you ever see a, a turtle, on a fence post, you have to ask yourself, how did the turtle get there? <laughs> and the answer, of course, is not by himself. He didn't, he didn't get there by himself. And I'm certainly uh, a turtle on a fence post in, in, that, uh, in that way. And so it all goes back to you know, starting with a godly grandmother who uh, exhibited uh, generosity and also uh, just showed the joy of the Lord and an entrepreneurial work ethic and spirit. Um, in both uh, real estate and Avon and, and those types of things. And uh, she planted the seeds of the gospel in my life. And um, so from that perspective, uh, she was super influential. And then, of course, uh, my, my father was, was a great example in terms of work ethic. And, and we were brought up right, you know, where we, we learned the value of hard work and the value of a dollar and, you know, good moral principles, even though during my growing up years, uh, my my dad and mom were not Christians. They became Christians later on, and after after I did in my teen years, um, and then of course throughout the years, I've had some great 
uh, mentors uh, and people who've discipled me well. And so uh, when, you, when I look at the story of my journey, uh, I see the DNA and the fingerprint of, of all these, uh, these people uh, who have influenced my life, people like Howard Dayton and Ron Blue in more recent years, say in the last 20 years, have been super influential uh, to me. And I'm just thankful to God for all of the, the people that he's put in my path and that he's used to influence my life. In in you know all those influences, Jeff, as they've shaped you as you've moved forward. What what has that led? How has that led you to what you're doing today? Well, I think the the first thing was uh, looking back at the early formation years of of being a a young Christian as a teenager and then as a young adult. You know, I really. Um, uh, gained a, a, a burden for God's kingdom and for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And so even much of what I do in the business world today um, is is really around the idea of kingdom building and influencing people, helping them to move along the spiritual continuum where, wherever they're at in their uh, walk with Christ, even if they don't know him yet. It's to uh, plant seeds and be able to move them closer uh, you know, on the journey, and, and many of the people we work with are already uh, committed Christians, and so it's it's um, helping them to move along their journey, whether it's a journey of um, integrating biblical stewardship in their lives, or or building a strong uh, family legacy or business legacy for those who are business owners. And so, uh, so for me, it's been kind of a, a unique integration of both um, faith and um, and the Great Commission along with uh, business and finance and stewardship and generosity and being able to uh, really view my work uh, as part of my calling. And um, so that's, that's been really cool. Not everybody has that experience of really uh, being able to love what they do for a living and, and also uh, have the, the strong uh, sense of confidence that what they're doing literally will, will make a difference in eternity for people. In the you know the world needs more you know people looking at things like that because you know you and I met through our good friend Sean Wood who who partnered with you to start stewardship uh, advisory here in Colorado and um, you know the work that you guys are doing you know in the world with families is so important and I'd love to circle back you know when you talked about kingdom building what, what does that look like um, for people. Well, I think there's uh, there's a couple of different uh, ways to look at it. Uh, I think for every believer, uh, there's two aspects to to what every single uh, person who's a follower of Christ should be doing relative to kingdom building. One is evangelism, and the other is is discipleship. Um, and I'll throw in along with that mentoring. And uh, I I believe uh, because I've been influenced by people who've discipled me and mentored me well that every one of us needs to uh, be a mentor and uh, be, be a, a discipler and also always have a mentor in our lives. Uh, we never outgrow having mentors and, and, and people uh, speaking into our lives. Um, so that's kind of at a general level for every believer. For me, one of the other aspects of kingdom building is, is to uh, help people to build strong multi-generational uh, family and business legacies where they're passing on their faith, their virtues, character, uh, family values um, down to succeeding generations, children, grandchildren, 
great-grandchildren in some cases. And uh, most uh, families want their kids and grandkids uh, to be responsible uh, citizens uh, when they grow up. They want them to be followers of Christ. Uh, but, uh, but many of them don't have an intentional, proactive plan around inculcating uh, those virtues and values into the lives of, of their kids and grandkids. So that's another aspect. And then a, a third aspect from my perspective is what we call uh, raising kingdom capital, um, helping people to uh, take money that would otherwise go to taxes, whether it's estate taxes or capital gains taxes, and release those, uh, turn them into kingdom capital uh, for the furtherance of, of the Great Commission, supporting their church and, and their favorite ministry. So that's another aspect of, of what I would define as kingdom building through the context of what we do at Stewardship Legacy Coaching and Stewardship Advisory Group. Now, I'd love for you to talk more, too. I, I think there's so many, you know, our audience are all, uh, a majority are people our age. Um, I would guess that uh, a lot of people listening to this right now, you know, they have kids, whether they're, you know, I have three teenagers right now, or we have adult kids. And I really think our biggest parenting opportunity is what I'm finding um, is actually when the kids are uh, in and through college, right? I'm looking at my 17-year-old, and he's already kind of just pulling away, just kind of feeling out his independence. He's excited about getting to that place where he gets to make all of his own decisions. And But I see my older son, who's already reconnecting and coming back, and um, you know, we want to create that environment where we really have that permission to sow in their life, not just when they're in our house, but when they're adults and they're and they're now really making decisions that are going to have long-term, um, I don't know if consequences is the right word, right? But, um, you know, it's going to lead them toward this path of being both successful and significant. There's going to be failures along the way. And so how do we do that uh, where we really connect with the kids in these different seasons, you know, from young kids to teenagers to adults, Jeff? Yeah, great question, John. And and. I think you're right on target. A lot of um, parents and grandparents um, face that very issue, and and I think we've had a lot of good training, certainly within the body of Christ, about how to raise younger children when they're in our household. Uh, of course, we've got uh, the legacy of uh, Dr. James Dobson and focus on the family and and uh, and and Jim Daly now and and others who have done a great job of. Uh, teaching uh, families how to raise younger children in a godly way. But one of the things that, that I think is missing is what you were mentioning, John, and that is uh, how do we uh, shift gears, as it were, as our, as our children begin to leave the nest? How do we parent and raise uh, adult children, <laughs> you know, whether they're in their you know, 20s and just you know, graduating from college and getting out in the workforce, like you mentioned in your family situation, or, or even you know, when, when people are 80 <laughs> and their kids are 50 or 60, you know, how do we then, as you said, speak into their lives? And, and one of the, the things that I've seen is, a, um, is a, uh, what I think a big misconception is in our culture is the idea that once our kids have left the nest, uh, we can't speak into their lives anymore. Um, and um, I, I think that is just a huge mistake. 
that is made in our culture and within within families. And so what we challenge uh, our clients uh, with and in, as they work with their own families and in, in building their legacy is to think through, you know, what does it look like to change roles? It can't be uh, the top-down dictatorial, you know, put the thumb screws on, you know, as it were when they were in our house and, and uh, you know, living under our roof. So the roles absolutely do shift. But what we find is that you can still be a parent, number one. Uh, you can be their friend. So I think there's a more of a friendship aspect that, that comes, you know, uh, if you're intentional to build it that way. And, um, and, and really uh, become, uh, uh, you know, people that want to be around each other, parents and, and kids or even grandparents, uh, doing things together and, and ultimately, again, shifting roles to become kind of like the elder at the city gate in the, in the New Testament, uh, to become a dispenser of wisdom, not preaching at them, not telling them what to do or being dictatorial in that way, but rather, oftentimes, even just sharing life lessons, wisdom, uh, things that you've learned sometimes through the school of hard knocks because of mistakes that you've made along the way, if you're like me, uh, or maybe lessons that you learned the easy way because you had a mentor uh, who spoke into your life and caused you from, uh, you know, helped you to not make mistakes you otherwise would have made. And so these life lessons oftentimes delivered through life stories um, are great opportunities for uh, parents or grandparents to be able to speak into the lives of their adult children or, or grandchildren. But a lot of it comes out uh, very much like um, Deuteronomy says, uh, uh, you know, in, in the way, you know, as we're going about doing life, as we're driving down the highway, we're sitting, you know, uh, there in the duck blind or the deer stand or we're, you know, fishing with them or we're doing a round of golf or whatever, as we do those things and we ask questions about what's going on in their lives, uh, we show that we care, again, not in a, a preachy way, but have the opportunity to, uh, to then be able to say, well, here's something I learned from your grandfather when I was growing up. And uh, so the roles do change, but, uh, but if there's intentionality, it can really be a wonderful time to, to speak wisdom in the lives of, uh, of the next generation. Well, I agree. I think stories are so powerful because people can relate to them. And, it, you know, it also helps move us away. You know, what I found is um, uh, both with all the clients I get to work with, we always talk about healthy organizations. In an organization we define as, you know, two or more people with, you know, a common cause or vision. So that can be a marriage, it can be a family, it can be a ministry, it can be a large company. But in, in you know, when um, I would go to my parents and share them something going on and all I got was advice. How I took that was is uh, it felt to me like it was coming from either a place of judgment because you know I was now an adult and when you come from a place where you're really working at developing just trust, intimacy, authenticity with your kids and you're coming from a place of curiosity and learning versus judgment to really understand you know, what's going on, how are they thinking about the situation, helping them think through, you know, wh what this could mean in their life, different situations. So you're, you're more coaching them versus, you know, telling them, here's what I would do in that situation. 
And what I have found is that those can be so much more productive conversations. And it also allows just a, a deeper level of just trust and friendship to continue to develop where they're seeking out that conversation with you as a parent versus not wanting to share with you because they don't want to get a lecture or they don't want to be told what to do again. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right on target. In fact, um, the late Stephen Covey in his book, uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, spoke to that very issue that you mentioned, John, and that is that we're to seek first to understand and then to be understood. And, uh, you know, as you were talking, it reminded me of, of that old saying that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so I think that's the uh, type of relationship that as parents or grandparents, we need to be intentional in building with our kids and grandkids, like you said, so that they don't feel like we're just giving them advice or preaching at them all the time uh, or telling them what to do, like you said, but rather that they know that we're available, that we care about them. Uh, I think one of the greatest things that, that uh, parents or grandparents can do um, is, number one, pray for their kids and grandkids on a daily basis, but also let them know they're, they're praying for them. Let them know the place that that they mean in your heart. And um, I think, you know, as, as much as uh, technology, uh, you know, has, uh, has invaded us, and it, there's obviously some, some uh, abuses and misuses of technology, but it can also be used for good. So one of the things that we um, mention in our, in our uh, the book that we're uh, in the process of writing around the stewardship of your family legacy is using technology in a good way. Uh, texting, um, you know, as a, as a way of touching and, and being able to use Facebook or other things, you know, you might not be able to be at Johnny, your, your, let's say your grandkids ball game because they might live half the country away, but, but you ought to be their raving fan. You ought to be their biggest fan on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. And, uh, you know, when Johnny hits that home run or for that matter, if Johnny strikes out, you know, uh, he, he ought to know that, that, you are his biggest fan, and you're giving him the thumbs up. Those little things like that, giving him those words of encouragement, you know, uh, create um, the uh, the relationship and, and the level of trust, so that down the road, uh, you know, not not just by doing that, but by doing other things, you know, when Johnny hits, you know, a rough patch in his life and he's got a major decision, or maybe he's at that proverbial fork in the road, you want to have the kind of relationship that Johnny comes to you for counsel, not because you're trying to push it on him, but because he sees you as what I call the dispenser of wisdom, somebody who he trusts, who he sees as, as a godly, wise person uh, that he wants to get advice from, uh, or Susie, for that matter, at her recital. Uh, you ought to be their biggest raving fan. And, you know, I, and I think we're getting to an area that's really interesting to me, because you talked about creating a strong legacy. What does a strong legacy look like, uh, Jeff? Well, in my mind, there's several key things. One, obviously, is uh, that that bond of relationship um, mm. is strong through the generations. Uh, so uh, I'll often use the term multi-generational because it's not just one generation to another. You know, uh, it, it's often three, four generations deep. That's, that's how you know if you have a strong uh, family legacy. But there's also common values. You've heard me use that term before as well. Uh, what's it mean to be a part of the Ramstead family? 
you know, uh, it used to be in uh, in you know early America and, and even over in England that to be a part of a family meant you had to live up to the family name. We've lost a lot of that here in America today, where where it doesn't mean that much to disgrace the family name. And that's why we see all this crazy stuff going on in, in politics and Washington and Hollywood and, and all of that. But, you know, so to me, part of um, having a, a strong family legacy is giving them a name uh, to live up to and, very frankly, an ex- expectation that this is, this is what we, as the Ramsteads or the Rogers family, do. This is the type of people that we are. And so that's that's an aspect that I think we've lost a lot of here uh, here in America. And and it's not even just what's it mean to be a part of this family. It's what's it mean to be a, a citizen of the United States of America. You know, uh, we're, we're seeing all this stuff uh, in the news and on Facebook and and all this about uh, uh, people that are uh, you know, burning the flag and and. Um, you know, n- not wanting to stand for the national anthem and, and really wanting to protest against those things. And, and there's always been some of that. I remember back in the 60s um, and, and 70s with the, the Vietnam War, uh, there, was, there was a little bit of that, but, but, but it was the minority. It wasn't the majority, and, and not that I think it is today either, but, um, but it, it used to be that um, uh, you... you most most people who grew up uh, pledging allegiance to the flag, uh, singing the national anthem and standing for it, and um, and it meant something to be a patriotic American. And I think, very frankly, uh, that's something that um, is done best at the family level, um, not 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 the school. Although I, I think schools should should support that as well. But but that's another thing that we can do, you know, within the context of the family is. This is the type of people that we are. We're, we're patriotic Americans. We love America. Not that we hate other countries. That's not the point. It's we love America. We love other countries, too. That's why we try to, to uh, you know, be so generous to the world and very frankly why we try to bring the good news of Jesus Christ uh, to the world as well. So, so it's, it's uh, uh, anyway, that, that's another part of, in my mind, building a strong uh, family legacy. Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, we talk a lot about how to develop extraordinary companies and business and, you know, leadership. And a lot of that revolves around, you know, really understanding, you know, why does your company exist, right? It's not about, you know, the financial piece. That's that's kind of a, that's what happens when you execute on this vision, this purpose, this mission. And what you're talking about is really having that strong identity of the family, people understanding the values you know, what we do, why we do it. And what does it take to really develop that for people listening? Say, you know what, you're right. I don't, I don't, I, I think if I said, okay, you know, if I asked my kids, what does it mean to be part of the Ramstead family? Uh, just being, um, you know, uh, authentic here, I'd probably get very different answers from all my kids. So the, you know, this is something, um, that I think we need to even focus on, even though we have great dinner table conversations. So what, what are the first steps toward really putting that together? I love this idea, Jeff. Yeah, great question, John. Um, and to me, it starts with developing um, what I call an intentional, proactive plan for your family legacy. And, and part of that is um, wisdom transfer that uh, 
is also combined with effective wealth transfer. And so, you know, a lot of um, planning done in America is really around the wealth creation and or wealth transfer side, but very little done around wisdom transfer. And I use wisdom in a broad sense to also include uh, transfer of faith and and values and virtues and, and those types of things all kind of wrapped up in that, that wisdom. But, you know, so part of it is developing an intentional proactive plan. Most families don't have one of those. Uh, if you ask most families, do you, you know, do you hope your kids end up being, you know, a good, uh, responsible people and hardworking and, you know, have plenty of initiative and ambition, they're all going to say yes. But if you ask them, do you have an intentional, proactive plan to help encourage that? It, most of them are going to look at you like, you know, the deer in, in the headlights. And um, same thing with the other values. Um, and so so I think it all starts with, with that plan. And, and part of that is, is as a couple, um, let's call that Gen 1, whatever generation you're in, because sometimes building a strong family legacy not only goes down, uh, generations to children and grandchildren. Sometimes it goes up a generation. You know, as I shared with you before we started this podcast, my wife Kathy and I are um, caregiving for both of our dads. Uh, they live in our home. Her dad has Alzheimer's, and he's lived with us for the last five years. My dad um, is uh, still very sharp uh, mentally, but uh, getting more frail physically. They're both age 85, and um, and so we moved my dad in. Um, last uh, February, and so we've been caregiving for both of them now, and and so uh, building a strong family legacy goes up generations, not just down generations, and so one of the great joys that I've had uh, in recent months since my dad has been living with us is being able to have conversations about what it was like uh, for him growing up. I knew some of those stories, but I've learned so much more context and so much more color around uh, what my dad's family was like growing up, what he went through, what my grandmother went through, and just kind of the story of of our family, and um, and those are those are really really important uh, because uh, that, again it's kind of it gets at the DNA of what that family is is all about, and um, and so those are some things that that I think um, need to be done um, and. And it starts with whatever generation you're in. So if it's uh, the John Ramstead generation, then you know, kind of looking you know down to children in the future, grandchildren, uh, up a generation, and and in asking ourselves, you know, what does our family stand for? Setting, uh, creating, uh, guiding principles, uh, written core values for the family, doing that uh, collectively, but also starting with with getting clarity around what you guys want your family legacy to look like. Um, because uh, we, we believe that there is a leadership aspect uh, of that, um, you know, as well. You don't, it's, you don't just say, hey, you know, what values do you want to, you know, stand, stand for to a five-year-old, you know, and have them speak into that. No, it, there, there is a level of which it should be led by uh, by our generation getting clarity about what we want our family legacy to look like, our values, guiding principles, uh, those types of things uh, within our family, and also looking at and assessing the needs of each of the people uh, within our family, our kids, grandkids, because as you mentioned, John, each one is a unique personality. 
the needs of one child or grandchild may be different than the needs of another uh, child or grandchild. And so um, I, I think we, we have to do that in order to create that intentional proactive plan. Well, I, I'm, you know, I'm thinking as you're talking too is, you know, what, you know, as you're, you know, working with your family, you're, you know, mom and dad, we're leading the family. And I mean, there's so many outside influences in the world today, you know, video games, music, everything on social media, the culture, like I'm, you know, in my kids' locker rooms and, you know, in the sports that they play are very, very, they're, they're hearing and seeing constantly very different things um, that, you know, my wife and I really cherish, you know, those, those values are, you know, our faith, those virtues. And what have you seen that's really effective way, you know, to work with, you know, this younger generation that are, is constantly being fed uh, oftentimes things that are just completely counter to what we hold dear? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, I, I think that um, we we have to start or should start with God's Word. And if we've laid a foundation uh, for uh, a love and respect of God's Word uh, in, in, number one, in our own lives, but number two, in the lives of, of our kids uh, growing up, uh, that that is a foundation uh, upon which uh, those those values can be built. Where we haven't done that, uh, obviously, we've got to take our kids where they're at. Maybe maybe uh, for for some uh, people, they came to Christ as adults, and their kids were already raised. What do they do then? They didn't obviously lay that biblical foundation, you know, when the kids were younger because they didn't know it themselves. So we have to start with where they're at and move them along that, that spiritual continuum. Uh, another uh, resource uh, for uh, people that are uh, you know, working with, uh, I would say, young adult uh, children uh, is uh, some resources uh, from Dr. Tim Elmore. Um, and um, he's got some phenomenal uh, resources for understanding uh, the millennial generation and, and even uh, Generation X. Uh, understanding where they're coming from and, and being able to engage them. So there's some great uh, great tools there that people can look to um, and um, and you know know better because sometimes we 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 don't know how to interact you know with them uh, or we don't understand the fact that we have context that they don't. One of the things that I've come to realize uh, even just in in maybe the last year or so is how many uh, how many of the people that are adults today weren't even you know uh, my favorite president of all time was Ronald Reagan and and I was a young adult uh, when when Reagan went into office and I knew what things were like before that you know uh, when when uh, we had the Iran hostage crisis and the Arab oil embargo and all of that and and I saw the kind of resurgence of what took place under under Reagan's leadership and um, you know the tearing down of of the Iron Curtain and the Berlin Wall and 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 just some phenomenal things that happened under his leadership. And one of the things that that I realized um, recently in the past year is that there's this whole generation of uh, young people and and including now young adults that uh, really they weren't around then. They 
they, they weren't even born then in some cases. And so they don't have that same uh, respect and admiration for Reagan that I that I do, and it's so much a part of my DNA, and and the way I view the world and free enterprise and capitalism and you know and and all of this and in business and and all of that um, that um, that if if I don't understand that they can't relate uh, in in that same way that they haven't had that experience, uh, we're we're going to have a, a, a miscommunication probably in my talking to the next you know, generation, a millennial or even Gen Xer in some cases. And so, uh, so I think that's why it's important to, uh, to take time and, and understand where they're coming from and, and also understand the context that you have that they may not have. Well, I think that's so important because, you, you know, I, I really do think that context is so different, you know, for I'm, I'm only 50. My kids have no concept of what Reagan stood for or even a lot of things that just formed me or, or my dad who grew up in the Great Depression and enlisted at 17 years old to fight in World War II. And my grandpa came here from Norway and two years after he was here, in the U.S. could barely speak English, enlisted to fight for the U.S. in World War One, And in, in that generation today, and, you know, you, we talked about it before, right? Seek first to understand. And I think that is such an important kind of building block of really understanding where they're coming from, why they're thinking the way that they're thinking. Because if we just tell them why we think what we think, and it's contrary to what they think, you're not really creating a, a productive dialogue that allows you to so into their lives. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you know, and one of the things that is important is to understand, you know, what what are um, you know, what are the transcendent principles. Ron Blue uses that term mm, uh, a lot. That. He talks about six, you know, transcendent financial principles and but but throughout, you know, no matter what area of life we look at, whether it's economics or government or you know business or, or or family for that matter there are transcendent principles and almost all of those transcendent principles meaning they transcend time they transcend generations they're timeless timeless principles uh, when you look at them uh, almost all of them can find their root in God's word they're biblical principles now whether we call them that and in some cases um, it, Depending on who our audience is, if the person is is not somebody who is a person of faith, or 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 is in some cases even resistant to the faith, um, we we can share the principles. We may not want to share the reference or or what the source is, but but there are there are transcendent principles, um, uh, and um, those are the things that you know when we're talking to children, grandchildren, future generations, younger generations, uh, we, in my opinion, want to uh, talk not so much about do and don't or the method, but rather what are the transcendent principles and do it oftentimes in the form of a dialogue, asking them the questions. What, what do they think are the principles that, that govern whatever that issue is that we're, uh, that we're talking with them about, rather than us telling them, as you mentioned earlier, um, when we ask them, most people, I believe, have common sense, not all, but most people, and when they stop and think about, okay, well, what are the, uh, the, the, the principles surrounding this? What are the timeless principles? Uh, most, of, most of them are going to get it right. Uh, most of the time, they know what the principle 
is. Uh, they know what the truth is, um, but oftentimes, uh, you know, they've been um, they've been told to reject truth by our culture. And so, when we can get them to think through the issues themselves, what are the consequences? Whether it's an issue like the sanctity of human life or whatever, you know, it's really important to frame the questions right and to, and to bring it back to you know the principles that govern you know uh, what whatever the issue is. Well, now let's think about this too. We've talked a lot, you know, of kind of where people might be. And I know you have coached and worked with so many families with this intentional proactive plan, you know, right, to create both wisdom and wealth transfer. So I'd love for you to maybe share a story of somebody who's actually gone through this, put in the work, and now they're on the other side of that and the results are there. And, you know, what, what is, what's going on in their life? What are they experiencing? What are they sharing with you? Yeah, uh, great question. So um, uh, I'll give the example of uh, one set of clients. It's a they're a third generation family business owner, um, and uh, this guy's grandfather started the business uh, years ago, ran it successfully. Then his dad uh, ran it for a bunch of years, and then we started getting involved in the family's life um, back in 2012. And at that time, our clients, Generation Three, uh, were in their early 60s. And uh, great Christian family, great legacy uh, within their community, known as being generous givers, known really as being a Christian family and a Christian business, and, um, uh, you know, love the Lord. And um, they uh, originally hired us not because they thought they had any real wealth transfer issues. They thought they had all of that already taken care of. In fact, we, we find that to be a common denominator of most uh, highly successful people. They think their plans are all already together and there's no holes in it uh, and stuff. So they really were hiring us not so much for the wealth transfer, but rather for the wisdom transfer aspect of their kids. They were concerned about how much... Uh, that level of wealth could potentially harm their children. And so that's, that's what they were um, hiring us for. And their, their kids were in their early uh, 20s at the time, uh, so they were not young children, uh, but, uh, but they were going to be generation four in this, uh, in this family business. And, um, you know, as we started working with them, uh, we, we discovered a, a couple of things. Uh, first of all, although they were a great family, like every family, uh, every family is dysfunctional. Every family has some dysfunction in it. There are no perfect families. Um, and uh, so in, in their situation, uh, one of their kids uh, was really a sold-out uh, follower of Christ, uh, really passionate about uh, the kingdom, about missions and, and, uh, and ministry. And... Um, and they felt that child would would really you know be a good steward of whatever amount they might uh, pass on. The the other child, although a Christian, was struggling with um, with some areas of life, and and always had in in some ways. Uh, she was a little bit more of what I'll call the the rebellious child. Not real bad, but but just. Uh, just struggle and struggling with uh, making wise decisions in some cases. And uh, the way the parents uh, put it uh, to us when describing it is they, they said, um, uh, Jeff, you know how uh, some people pick up stray dogs and try to rescue them? 
Mm-hmm. That's what she. That's what she does with guys. <laughs> uh, she picks up stray guys and tries to fix them. And, uh, and but what happens too often is they end up bringing her down instead of instead of uh, her bringing them up. And so they were they were concerned about that. And and um, you know, so we we came alongside and and in addition to you know discovering that issue, we also. Uh, discovered that there were issues related to the wealth transfer aspect as well. In fact, uh, their their net worth at that time was about $111 million. And even with the planning that they had done with the attorneys and financial advisors and, and CPAs that they had, their family uh, would have had to have paid about $38 million in federal estate taxes if the husband and wife had died uh, before we helped them redo their plan. And when, when you look at that, you know, one of the questions then, you know, was, okay, well, how would you, how would your family come up with the money to pay that? And as you know, John, because you work with a lot of successful business people, smart business people don't keep $38 million sitting around in cash to be able to write a check to the IRS. It's all tied up in assets. It's in business or real estate or whatever. And so the conclusion that they came to was the only way for their family to come up with $38 million to pay the estate tax bill would have been the forced sale of that family business. So it would have been a third-generation family business that wouldn't have made it to the fourth generation. I would call that a family legacy lost and a business legacy lost. Beyond that, though, what they realized was uh, they are actually the largest employer in their community. And they knew that if, if they ended up having to sell their business, it would most likely be sold to a global multinational firm that would have shuttered the doors of the local operations and put all those families out of work. Um, and so not only would it affect their family, it would have affected the entire community. And so that was a wake-up call to them on what I'll call the wealth transfer side. So we helped them to create a zero estate tax plan and showed them how to be able to give more money to the kingdom, by the way, instead of uh, to the government, which they liked. But then also, uh, we needed to come alongside, and, and this is part of what we try to help uh, families do related to the wisdom transfer aspect, is taking, uh, each, in this case, each of the kids where they're at and developing a plan for, uh, for uh, where they needed to go. What are, the, what are the, in some cases, skill sets, but what are the virtues, character, you know, the values that, that need to be built into the lives of each of those young adult children? How can we come alongside them? And so in kind of a team effort of helping the parents to learn what they could do um, in those areas and, and also, you know, us kind of helping them as well, um, with uh, with the kids, we've seen uh, tremendous progress with that one uh, child who uh, tended to be a little bit more of a prodigal. Now, it's not a one-and-done type of deal, okay? We're working with real-life people here, and real-life people are all of us. We're all fallen people, <laughs> you and me too, John. Yeah, and so yeah. none of us are perfect, right? So we're on the journey uh, as well, but... Um, but because of that, uh, there's this uh, whole aspect of what we call air preparation. What can we do to prepare the heirs? Again, not just financially, but with wisdom and with virtues and values. And so, 
so that's been an aspect uh, that we've been able to come alongside, and, and we've seen some good progress um, uh, with this one child, and you know, of course the other child was already doing well, but we've we've helped that child to you know to grow and and to do better. But then along with the kids, you know, another aspect for those who are business owners is not just their family legacy, but for most of those families, if they own businesses, their business is the largest asset on their net worth statement. And so there's the stewardship of the business legacy that goes along with the stewardship of the family legacy. And in their case, uh, we um, help them to, uh, or we discovered with them that um, that um, it would have been a train wreck from a business perspective if the husband had died. Uh, the wife would have uh, not had control of the business, first of all, uh, well, yeah, so the wife wouldn't have had control of the business. She would have lost that control if the husband uh, had passed away. She would have been in business with his two brothers, her brothers-in-law, one of which she got along with very well, but the other one um, she absolutely did not want to be in business with. Uh, they, they, uh, there were some you know, uh, relationship issues there, some uh, conflict, and, and really even just different uh, values between um, her, them and, and, uh, and his brother. And so one of the uh, uh, things that we, that we helped him to do is to realize that that brother uh, could not be uh, the CEO of, of the company um, if, uh, you know, if our client passed away first. And um, so we, we've helped them to come alongside and, and look at uh, preparing the next generation of business leaders, much like we do in the family context, and in this case, creating a team where the third brother would be more involved. In fact, he's gotten more involved uh, in, in the business um, and um, coming alongside the other brother. And then also the management team stepping up and helping them to all realize that it would take an entire team effort to successfully continue to run the business if something happened to our client. And so we've been working with the management team now for the last couple of years in uh, helping uh, equip them both with skill sets, cross-training, you know, all of that. Uh, very frankly, uh, the, the uh, transference of goodwill, because most of it has been centered, you know, with our client, and that needs to be spread out to some of the other key members so that if something happened to our client, that goodwill doesn't go down down the tubes. And so, you know, that that's a real-life example of, um, of one where now, you know, they've got a zero estate tax plan, the family uh, would be able to keep the business in the family. There's mentoring and discipleship going on with the kids um, and good progress there, and also with the next generation of business leadership. Uh, so it's, again, both family well, there, legacy yeah, and huge business benefits legacy. happening there, and it's really focused on really creating that healthy organization, that healthy family where, you know, where people are – you know, communicating, talking, being authentic, trusting each other, being able to share some of these. These are, you know, some some of these are very difficult conversations, right? I love that book, Crucial Absolutely. Conversations, about this. And, you know, so, you know, as we wrap up, what are just some final thoughts you'd just love to, you know, leave with people as they've just heard this whole conversation, Jeff? Well, probably the first one is to, um, as a husband and wife, if, if you're married, get 
find somebody to help you to get clarity uh, around what you want your family legacy or, for that matter, business legacy to look like, because it all starts with clarity. Uh, Second, though, um, as we've mentioned, John and I, throughout this podcast, is to develop an intentional, proactive plan to accomplish that, both in the area of wealth transfer, but also wisdom transfer. And, um, and think multi-generationally, uh, kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, and, and depending upon your age, maybe even moving up a generation like Kathy and I uh, have had to do with, with our dads, uh, because there's some great things that can happen there. And uh, America needs more families with strong uh, family legacies and, very frankly, uh, business legacies that last multi-generationally as well. It's just good stewardship of your family and business legacy. Well, you know, I love that. It's like, you know, we always talk about, you know, building a bridge. And to build a bridge, first of all, you have to really figure out where you're at right now. That's the clarity. What am I working with? What's the soil? What's the foundation need to look like? And then you have to have a plan to build the bridge, but you also need to know what it looks like on the other side of the bridge, right? What what is that legacy that you really want to create? And you know, I was struck with that when I had my accident a few years ago, and they told me what I heard from the surgeon is that I wasn't going to make it um, as I was laying in my hospital bed in ICU. And I started thinking, you know, from an inheritance standpoint, you know, you're talking about the wealth transfer, what I was going to leave to my wife and my kids, you know, they were going to be fine. But then I really started thinking, Jeff, about from a legacy standpoint, what if I really left in my wife and in my three boys and in my friends and in this world around me that's truly going to outlive me in a way that really, you know, my life mattered in their life, that the use of my life, um, you know, was going to outlive my life. And that's when I, I, re, I had to rethink everything about who I was, where I was going. And, you know, that led to an exercise of actually writing down what is that epitaph that I would want to live out that will be read at my funeral someday you know what do i how do i want my wife to feel you know like one of my goals is i want to make my wife feel like the most loved woman in the world and i and that's not how she felt a few years ago and it's something i'm I'm working on every single day i i wrote down goals about the relationship i wanted to have with my boys when they're young and through all the way through adulthood and what would i want them to be saying about me at my funeral someday what what did dad mean to them and, you know, and then on and on. And I got to tell you, going through that exercise to get that clarity about how to live my life in a way that did create that legacy, that did honor God, that was kingdom building, uh, was just a really meaningful first step in completely shifting the direction of, of the life and the trajectory that, that I'm living right now. Yeah, that's exactly right, John. And that's, um, you know, really going back to another of Covey's uh, uh, statements, which is begin with the end in mind. And that's what you've done by, you know, kind of fast forwarding to the end of your life, thinking back, you know, what would I want my wife to be thinking and feeling? What would I want my my kids to be thinking and feeling? And and what do I want my legacy and and my epitaph uh, to look like? you know, it's it's also for those of us who are believers, not only planning with the end in mind, but it's planning ultimately with an eternal perspective. And uh, I think that's really important. Um, in closing, I'm reminded of um, of uh, the words of Vernon Brewer, who is the uh, founder of World Help. 
he's a cancer survivor and and uh, kind of like going through the life and death experience that you did in in your uh, fighter 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 uh, yeah yeah fighter pilot accident sorry about that um you know, it, it, it kind of brings you to, you know, face-to-face with the brevity of life. And, and, and he has this uh, statement, which I love, uh, which is, every day I want to live my life in such a way that, uh, let's see, every day I want to live my life in such a way that I will do at least one thing that will outlive me and last for eternity. Yeah, and, we always and I love we have a we, saying around here is, I want to live my life so the use of my life outlives my life. That's great. I love it. And then that's really what legacy is all about. Yeah, totally. Now, how do people get in touch with you, Jeff? Well, there's a couple of different ways. One, they can visit our website, uh, www.stewardshiplegacy.com. Uh, or they could um, reach me uh, by email, jeff at stewardshiplegacy.com, or by phone, 407-470-1412. Awesome. And that, that'll all be in the show notes for this whole post. And, and Jeff, thank you so much for your time today. It was, uh, I really appreciate it. John, thank you. And, and God bless you and uh, the Eternal Leadership Broadcast. Thanks for listening to Eternal Leadership. Be sure to check the summary of this MP3 for any important links and a link to the show notes for this episode. By the way, if you're a regular listener to Eternal Leadership, could you give John and I a hand? Could you give us a rating and review on iTunes? It's how most people listen to podcasts, and ratings and reviews help bump us up those charts. The higher we are, the more people that will stumble onto us. If you don't listen through iTunes, rate and review us on whatever platform you listen, or just share it with someone that you think could really benefit from our topics and guests. Thanks. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership.